Hello, friends. This is uh, for Pod's sake. I'm your host, Sean Callahan. Uh, Woo-ha! Um, if you're listening to this on Anchor or Spotify, you might know that reference. I uh, I started off the podcast with that old Buster Rhyme song, Woo-ha, you know, because I'm trying to find some song similar uh, to what we're going to be talking about today is the uh, origins of the coronavirus in Wuhan. So... Shout out to Buster Rhymes, everybody. Buster, where are you at? Um, all my friends used to see Buster Rhymes at the Roosevelt Field Mall in Long Island, New York, uh, shopping constantly. Buster, you got to stop shopping. Stop going to lids, getting those flat brim snapbacks. Get back in the studio. Um, all right. But seriously, a uh, big topic of discussion is the origins of the coronavirus. It's been a year now since this pandemic has started, over a year, and we still don't know where this virus came from. There's about roughly three competing theories right now, one of which is completely out of left field and nonsense, which is essentially state uh, Chinese propaganda. And there's two competing scientific theories, uh, both of which are based more or less on circumstantial evidence. So the problem is we don't have all the information we need. The Chinese are withholding information. I'm going to get into this in, in this episode. And so all we have is theories. Now, the problem is that one of these theories is labeled as a conspiracy theory. And that's simply not true. Um, conspiracy theories have zero evidence, zero, uh, you know, they're just complete completely outrageous. You know, there was a conspiracy theory like that movie, I think with Mel Gibson, that the Rolling Stones are always on tour because they're actually British spies. Now, is that possible? I suppose it's possible. Is it likely? No. So that's the sort of crazy, crazy uh, conspiracy theories. And there's nothing crazy about the theory that the coronavirus actually came from a laboratory. And we're going to be talking about this. The other uh, theory, the major mainstream uh, consensus among scientists is that it actually occurred naturally from a zoonotic spillover originating in a bat, uh, either traveling from one bat population to another where two viruses mixed together and then made the, the leap to human beings, or the bat virus went through a, a middleman, an intermediary animal, most likely a pangolin. And that's where those viruses mixed up and then made the, uh, the jump to humans. So there's a lot of information going to get thrown around and uh, a lot to talk about. But it's good that more and more people are talking about this lab theory. And it's emerging now as a legitimate theory and not conspiracy. Part of the reason why it was labeled a conspiracy theory from the, the word go, unfortunately, has to do with Donald Trump, uh, people around Donald Trump and his supporters, and uh, a lot of misinformation that was being shared on on Facebook. See, the problem is a lot of times this is framed as, oh, well, people just labeled it a conspiracy theory because they're partisan and it came from re the Republican side of things. And so they just pushed it aside. And that's not actually the case because the reason why a lot of people, myself included, thought it was just a conspiracy theory 
was that it was being promoted by someone who's a pathological liar and someone who pulls shit out of his ass. It wasn't that he was on Team Red or and versus Team Blue. It's because this guy was not a legitimate source of information for anything. He speculated about injecting yourself with bleach in order to kill the coronavirus. He told over 30,000 lies or uh, misstatements or falsehoods or something, basically lies while in office. Over 30,000 as fact-checked by the Washington Post. Anyone listening out there has never told 30,000 lies in their entire life, let alone in only a few years. So he was pushing out this idea that it possibly came from a lab. Steve Bannon, a lot of other people on far right and fringe right, um, fringe, excuse me, uh, websites were pr promoting it. And that basically uh, put the idea in a lot of people's minds that it was complete nonsense. When actually I'm going to go over, there's actually a mountain of circumstantial evidence which leads people to believe that it's possible that it came from a lab. So just to go back and think about all this uh, stuff, we know that the first cases of the coronavirus came out in December of 2019 in the city of Wuhan, China. Um, and right from the beginning, the Chinese uh, basically fucked up for everyone. They silenced doctors and scientists, people who were sounding the alarm uh, about this new emerging virus. They did not share information from the, uh, from the early days, and that allowed the virus to uh, run out of control and run rampant and turn into the pandemic. If they had been forthright and been upfront from the word go and listened to actually their doctors, they could have got a better handle on it. And they've projected that maybe about 95% of cases and deaths could have been prevented. So the blame for this falls squarely on the Chinese government. But the theory goes that a bat virus somehow, yeah, passed through, most likely to a pangolin. And the first initial theory was that this emerged from the seafood market in Wuhan. Now, the problem with that is that in half of the cases, half of the cases of the first early reported coronavirus, people had no connection to the market whatsoever. So that kind of blows a hole in that theory, not as it where it emerged from, but possibly as a super spreader event from people who already had it. So uh, in De on December 30th, the Wuhan Health Commission was telling hospitals not to say anything publicly. And doctors were actually reprimanded for spreading rumors by the Chinese authorities. But then as the virus spread into January, uh, the Chinese local governments and federal government, they all kept quiet and doctors were afraid to speak out. Uh, but we know for a fact that President uh, Xi Jinping said he was aware of the virus on January 7th, and they finally shared the genome of the virus uh, to the larger community on January 11th. Now, on January 14th, China's National Health Commission, uh, whose name, I'm going to butcher these names, unfortunately, sorry, because, uh, you know, it's not my strong suit is Mandarin and uh, Chinese names, but the Chinese National Health Commission, Ma Zhao Wei, he, he laid out a grim assessment uh, in a confidential teleconference. So according to the memo from the session, the situation, according to, to him, was already severe and complex. 
and clustered cases suggested that human-to-human transmission was possible. He also said that the risk of transmission and spread was high and that all localities must prepare for and respond to a pandemic. So this is in early January, internally, what the Chinese are saying. Now, the National Health Commission issued a 63-page document on, re- on response procedures, and it was labeled internal, not to be spread on the internet, and not to be publicly disclosed. So already, the authoritarian regime in China has a volatile situation. They're using uh, the full strength of their sort of propaganda uh, machine and their their powers um, because people have no rights in China to essentially clamp down on all information sharing, which would have been helpful to everybody. Now, on January 15th, the next day, Li Kun, who's the head of Chinese uh, Disease Control Emergency Control Center, told state TV that the risk of sustained human-to-human transmission is low. The next day, they go out and start lying to the, to, to the public. And anyone who's following the story from, from day one and hearing of these cases emerging from China um, would be, you know, letting their guard down because they go out and lie the next day after their own commission says the, the exact opposite. So January 20th, which is a full week after that initial teleconference, the public is finally warned. And then on January 23rd, Wuhan goes into lockdown along with nearby cities, um, which is an area that's bigger than Washington state. So a massive, massive lockdown. Now, this is all part of the, essentially the cover-up by the Chinese, um, or at least their negligence in allowing this to to get out of control. Now, the interesting point about the city of Wuhan is what it has in there. It has the only biosafety level four lab in all of China. It has six viral studies research centers in the city of Wuhan. It's a city of 11 million people, and they've got six of those facilities. So as a point of reference, city of New York has a population of about 9 million. Wuhan has 11 million people, and they've got these dangerous facilities um, right in the city. So putting aside the idea, I don't know why you would put that in the middle of a city, you know, a place in America like Area 51, where they do experimental stuff out in the Nevada desert makes sense to me. But to put it in the city of 11 million people seems unnecessarily dangerous. Um... But there's uh, a lot of interesting information about the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is that level four lab. Now, two years before the pandemic started, State Department officials from the United States, they visited the Wuhan Institute of Virology and they sent back two official warnings to Washington, D.C. about how poor the safety was at the lab. Now, that's a big deal to send two official warnings. It has to be pretty bad for them to to go and do that. And the reason why they took a tour of the facility to begin with is that some of the research being done there was funded by America. Some was funded by Europe, and the bulk of it was funded by China. And we're going to get into what kind of research they were doing. But since it's uh, the first lab in China to become a BSL-4, 
um, the State Department released a statement about uh, the last of their visits, um, and then the the la- in the last month they erased the statement from from the virus center's website. It disappeared. The diplomatic cables warned about safety and management weaknesses, and the research presented a risk of creating, quote, a new SARS-like pandemic. These are the official State Department officials um, using their words to warn Washington, D.C. that this is a major, major powder keg um, ready to explode because the safety record was so bad. They said they had a shortage of appropriately trained technicians to operate the high containment lab. And since they were getting partial funding from the Galveston National Laboratory at the University of Texas medical branch, the Chinese were requesting additional help because they knew they were probably in over their head or they didn't have enough properly trained people or whatever the case was. But they never received help from the United States. And in... Uh, some of the research that they were doing was gain-of-function research at that lab. So it's a, a nice euphemism, but what gain-of-function research is, it's manipulating the genomes of viruses to make them more virulent, to make them more contagious, to make them more dangerous. And the idea, the logic behind doing that is that if they can manipulate these viruses in a way that's close to or would mimic something that might happen in nature, they can then get a jump on the fact that if it does happen in nature, they will have already figured it out and will be able to have a vaccine or know how to treat this. So it seems pretty crazy. It's very controversial. You're worried about something that might happen in the real world. And so you actually make it happen in a lab so that you get a jump on it if it happens in the real world. You're creating the monster that doesn't exist yet, but it might exist in the future. And you're creating that monster and trying to study it and to try and, and get a jump on it. So it's extremely dangerous stuff what they're doing there. And so dangerous, in fact, that in October of 2014, the U.S. government imposed a moratorium on the funding of gain-of-function research. So a lot of the funding that went to uh, WIV, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, that had already been funded. And so that didn't um, be, uh, that wasn't prevented by that 2014 moratorium. But after that point, the U.S. called it quits and said, absolutely no more funding of this research. It's too dangerous. So, but there was also concerns in the city of Wuhan about the Wuhan Center for Disease uh, Control and Prevention, which is a lab with only a, a level two biosecurity. So even more lax, you know, maybe less dangerous stuff, still dangerous stuff, but uh, less safety protocols. So, but, uh, you know, from the word go, the Chinese government has refused to answer basic questions about the origin and they've suppressed any attempt to investigate the labs. Uh, the U.S. provided no extra assistance to the labs, and the the ton of evidence and the circumstantial evidence from a lab leak. Um, there's 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 a lot, and we're going to go through that. But it's been shown that the original seafood market story is is BS. Um, research that was published in the Lancet, a UK medical journal, showed. That the first no the first known patient had no connection to the market. 
And then uh, one third of the cases in that first large cluster had no connection to the market. And also the market also didn't sell bats. So is it possible that this virus passed from a bat to an intermediary animal and that was being sold? It's, it's, it's possible. But the Chinese went into a full information lockdown. They didn't provide samples of the coronavirus, of the first coronavirus, of the earliest cases. They've never provided samples for us to analyze. And the Shanghai lab that published the novel genome on January 11th was then shut down by the Chinese government. And several doctors and journalists who reported on the spread have disappeared. Disappeared. Now, this is something that can only happen in an authoritarian regime like China. Doctors, journalists, people speak out, they're arrested, they forcefully recant their statements, or they just fucking vanish and could be in a prison somewhere. They might be killed. That's crazy. The earliest people who have spoken out about this have dropped off of the face of the earth. So there was a, uh, a journalist, Li uh, Zihao, which is Z-E-H-U-A. Li Zihao is a journalist. He live streamed his own arrest online. Uh, and that was reported in The Guardian. You had another doctor, Li Wenliang, who was dragged to a police station in the middle of the night, forced to recant. Uh, and th this was all reported on CNN. So all the stuff that I'm talking about now, this is all public information. This comes from the Lancet Medical Journal, Nature and Nature uh, Medicine mag um, Medical Journal comes from The Guardian, The Washington Post, The New York Times, CNN, BBC. This is all legitimate news material. This isn't someone's Facebook status or anything else. This is all readily available. So we know that. So we know this virus emerges. We know that there's several labs in Wuhan which are studying bat coronaviruses. And we know that as this comes out, the government clamps down on doctors and scientists. It doesn't share its information with the rest of the world. And um, this metastasizes into a global pandemic. Now, that gain-of-function research being done, um, the grant documents show that the work at the Wuhan Institute of Virology was aimed at determining the potential for spillover from one species to another. So we know this from reading the grants. This is the specific type of research they're doing. That <clears throat> what is the potential for spillover from one species to another? What they did was the research involved constructing a series of novel chimeric viruses. Um, and a chimera, or I think that's how you say it, chimera, it's a single organism, but it's made up of cells from two or more individuals, and it contains two sets of DNA. It's not like a hybrid animal. It just has two sets of DNA. It's some sort of mixture of this organism. So the research they were doing there, it involved constructing a series of novel chimeric viruses that would use different spike proteins. I know you've heard about the spike protein with the coronavirus. It would use different spike proteins from some unpublished natural coronaviruses. So, and what were they testing for? They were testing for the, abil for the ability of the resulting novel viruses to infect human cells and to infect lab animals. 
So they're taking viruses that naturally occur in nature. They're mixing them together. They are manipulating them and using different spike proteins to see how much better they can infect human cells. They manipulate mice in order to do this so that the mice cells respond the same way that human lung cells would respond. So that's what they're doing. I mean, actually think about that at that lab. They're taking a naturally occurring bat virus. They're manipulating it, making it uh, be able to jump and infect human cells. And this lab has a horrible safety track record. Keep that in your mind as circumstantial evidence. And now, so an article published on the 9th of November in Nature Medicine uh, talks about how scientists investigated a virus called SHC014. And that virus is found in horseshoe bats in China. But the researchers created a chimeric virus made up of a surface protein of CH, uh, I mean, excuse me, SHCO14, and the backbone of a SARS virus, which had been adapted to grow in mice and to mimic human disease. So the chimera infected human uh, airway cells, proving that the surface protein of SHCO14 has the necessary structure to bind to a key receptor on the cells and infect them. So those are the specifics to get down into the weeds. Um, And like I said earlier, the animals that were used were mice with genetically modified cells that respond just like human respiratory cells. So another thing about this lab is that uh, WIV, it collected thousands of samples from bat caves, thousands. Um, It has a database, a records database with 22,000 samples uh, and some of their genetic sequences that go back years basically the largest collection in China. Um, It has 15,000 samples from bats, which cover 1,400 bat viruses. And this is very important. It's got more than 100 unpublished sequences of bat coronaviruses. So it's got information that no other scientists know about. Um, So, but the work being done at the lab was overseen by a doctor called, uh, her name is uh, Dr. Shi Zengli. And she claims that the genetic sequence of the of SARS-CoV-2, which is the novel coronavirus, is uh, it doesn't match any of the viruses that her team sampled from the caves. Now, here's where things also get interesting. Dr. Shi's work was partially funded by the National Institutes of Health through uh, an NG, uh, a New York-based NGO, non-governmental organization, called the Eco-Health Alliance. Now, the president of the Eco-Alliance is a guy named Peter Daszak. Peter Daszak was one of the people to help wrangle up uh, a few dozen scientists in the early days to put out a memo saying that this virus is of natural origin because that's when a lot of the lab leak theories were coming out in early February uh, of 2020. And that was gaining traction, that idea. A lot of people were talking about it. And so the Lancet Medical Journal, with something like two dozen signatories of scientists, came out and forcefully said, this definitely comes from nature. He was one of the, one of the people to organize 
that statement, which changed the whole tone of what was going on in the mainstream media and what everyone was saying. That paper alone was one of the ones that was supposed to be the nail in the coffin of all these other theories. He helped organize it, even though his organization was funding partially the research done, the gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And I'll talk a little bit later on about how there's finally been an investigation team which has gone in. He was also one of the very few scientists on the investigation team to go check out the lab that his company actually partially funded. If that doesn't jump out at you as the most, the biggest conflict of interest at the very least, but also strange um, and, and easily prone to conspiratorial thinking, then I don't know what will. But like I said, that uh, Wuhan Institute has a database with 22,000 samples. Now, <clears throat> here's something that's really interesting. In 2012, six people were out clearing essentially bat feces, bat shit, from an abandoned mine in the Yunnan province of China, which is a thousand miles away from Wuhan. And they developed a mysterious illness, which was very much like COVID-19. Three of them actually died. Now, uh, the investigation into their illness has been kept completely hidden by the Chinese. We, we don't have any, any more information than that. Um, so, uh, coincidentally, the Wuhan Institute of Vi Virology was on a trip nearby and collecting samples when those six people got sick. A virus sampled from the mine in 2013 called RATG-13 is the closest known relative of SARS-CoV-2. It shares 96% of the genomes. So eight, nine, whatever it is years ago, people are in a, in a cave or nearby cave where bats, they get sick. It looks suspiciously like the same symptoms as COVID-19. Three of them actually die, which would show it's quite severe. This Wuhan Institute is nearby collecting samples. We know that it's extremely close, extremely close. This to, to the bats that wound up killing those people. And they wound up um, getting samples of eight particular viruses from an unidentified location in the Yunnan province. But again, we don't have access to this information. Um, but we do know that all the other eight viruses are very, very similar to that RATG-13. But here's the deal as far as this, this information. It's all in that WIV database. And part of that database had always been pass, password protected, which makes sense. You know, it's a level four lab. You don't want other people gaining access to your research, whatever. That's normal security. But in sep September of 2019, Two months before the ref first reported outbreak in Wuhan, the entire database of all this information is taken offline. Everything, all the information that was publicly or available to scientists is suddenly taken offline two months before the first case uh, is reported in Wuhan. And Dr. Xi claims it was taken off for, quote, security reasons. Now, 
Here's the real doozy. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said publicly that the United States had intelligence showing that several researchers inside the Wuhan Institute of Virology became sick in the fall of 2019 with symptoms consistent with COVID-19. Again, that's all circumstantial evidence, right? But it's pretty, it's pretty damning if you think about it. And after that, a second Chinese database or portal of virus databases, which was created by the National Virus Resource Center, which is affiliated with the uh, WIV, that also went offline. So now all the key virus databases managed by uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology are all offline. That's where we're at with that. Now, you might think, all right, well, it's got a poor safety track record and it is in the city of Wuhan and they were studying things like this that look shockingly similar to what we're dealing with with the novel SARS-CoV-2. But, you know, surely that couldn't have happened. You know, things just don't leak out of a lab. That's just not common. Oh, it is actually common. Just just so you know, um, just even just in the United States, as an example, uh, as reported to USA Today, there was more than 1,100 lab accidents involving bacteria, viruses and toxins that pose significant risks and were reported to regulators just from 20, uh, 2008 to 2012. Here's an example. In 2015, workers at a germ warfare testing center in Utah accidentally sent 200 shipments of live anthrax to labs throughout the United States, Australia, Germany, Japan, and a few other countries. Live anthrax was actually shipped out. It's, it's shocking and amazing that no one was killed. Uh, in 2007, a live foot and mouth disease leaked from a faulty drain pipe at the Institute for Animal Health in Surrey, England. Uh, in 2019, Fort Detrick, where uh, there's defense uh, research happening, uh, it involved the creation of potential pathogens. And uh, that research and that whole facility was shut down by the Centers for Disease Control for, quote, breaches of containment. This is a very common thing from people working in labs. So it's completely not out of the realm of possibility when this lab itself was already cited for poor safety two years prior to this happening, that something can happen. Uh, something, samples could be improperly disposed of. Somebody, uh, I don't know, accidentally has some contagion on them or actually accidentally inhales something unbeknownst to them and only develop symptoms later on. Something can walk out on a, a piece of, you know, clothing inadvertently. There's all kinds of ways this could have escaped from this lab. So anyway, it's been a year since the origins of this. And finally, after stalling from the Chinese government, uh, the WHO, the World Health Organization, is allowed finally to go and, and investigate the origins of this and to investigate the lab theory. Now, they were only in the city of Wuhan for a month to investigate. What did they do for the first two weeks? They were in quarantine. So what was called a month-long investigation 
is now shortened to two weeks. And um, hold on, let me let me get my my stuff in order here. See, I actually took notes. You know, usually I just speak off the cuff, but I thought this was important enough to actually do some work. Um, so they spend two weeks on the ground in Wuhan, and when they come out and actually give the press conference, they start promoting this third theory of where this came from, that maybe it didn't even start in Wuhan. Maybe it was shipped into Wuhan on frozen seafood or frozen meat on packaging, and it somehow got in that way. Uh, I have absolutely no idea what evidence there is to, to show that uh, at all. I do know that it is a great uh, way to deflect attention away from the lab by the Chinese state propaganda machine, but it was an absolute joke of an investigation. You think when there's a global pandemic of this magnitude, you would um, be a bit more thorough. You know, when the mares uh, virus, which jumped from, a, you know, I think it was back in 2012, jumped from a camel to humans, the Middle East uh, uh, respiratory syndrome. It took them a, over a year until they traced back and found the actual animals where it emerged from. A massive investigation. You know, the original SARS outbreak we know came from bats directly, I think, to humans. So you've got this massive pandemic and you're given two weeks to check it out. You know, I remember reading the 9-11 Commission report in graduate school. The book was about 800 pages and it took years for them to go go back and investigate and tie all these uh, issues together of what went wrong, uh, who didn't talk to who, what slipped through the cracks to, to, to show why September 11th happened. They're given two weeks by the Chinese government. So, you know, the first thing is that wet market theory just gets kind of blown out um, because there was too many outbreaks happening simultaneously. So, and they had no connection to the market. So it didn't emerge from the market. If anything, it came into the market and that's where it spread to people. So it was already circulating. Um, and, and to be fair, it makes sense because that market was massive. There was 653 stalls there. They were selling meat. They were selling live animals. They were trading in chipmunks, foxes, raccoons, wild boar, giant salamanders, uh, frogs, snakes, sika deer, hedgehogs, crocodiles, you name it. But the thing is that market was closed right after the outbreak and no samples were taken that might prove a virus connection. It was scrubbed clean. No samples. So the wet market theory goes out and scientists were trying to, uh, at least, you know, on the surface, even though they're not trained forensically, they're trying to ask the right questions and they keep getting um, pushed back and, and roadblocks put up by the Chinese. Um, there was, uh, you know, they, they tried to test this natural theory that it came from an animal. So they, the Chinese did thousands of tests on different animals in China, and they still haven't detected the virus anywhere. So you would think if that working theory that it came from a bat population and either that bat with that uh, virus, kind of like the one I mentioned earlier that had 96% of the genome, if one of those bats mixed with another bat population in some other way, and that bat was also sick on the other side, and those two viruses mixed together and created something new, surely you'd be able to find evidence or an animal that was sick. 
And the same way if it spread uh, to a pangolin, you know, virus, uh, excuse me, a bat eats something and something falls out of its mouth. The pangolin's crawling on the ground, picks it up and eats it or they're, you know, defecates in the same area, whatever the case may be, they they come into contact and those viruses mix. Surely you should find some animals who have that virus around. If it's that transmissible, if it's that easily spread, there should be it should be fairly easy to find a virus that has SARS-CoV-2 or you know whatever the the precursor virus which jumps to humans and yet they've tested thousands of animals in China and haven't found a single one not a single one who has it which to say the least is odd but also the chinese didn't go back and test blood donation samples from wuhan in 2019 you know around the time that the state department or uh, us secretary of state said it had intelligence of people being ill uh, before that outbreak in Wuhan, you know, people donate blood or they get blood drawn at the hospital. They could have gone back and tested samples. Um, and, and yet they didn't go back and test any in 2019. And it could have showed it circulating earlier than reported. Um, because the U.S. and Europe have done this and they tested data and they think that it could have been in the United States as early as December 2019, which is the same time as Wuhan. So it must have come before then. I mean, the first case in the U.S. was only confirmed in January 2020, but the U.S. Center for Disease Control tested blood donated to the Red Cross, and they found the disease probably reached America as early as December 13th, 2019. So the timeline that we've been given, the timeline that we have in our minds, is not actually accurate. We think of this as starting in December in China and then only really hitting us later on. But it could have been and most likely was circulating well before then which is interesting. But the thing is that the Chinese claimed that, you know, they couldn't go back and test those samples because of supposed, and this is in quotes, supposed legal difficulties. Legal difficulties in China. This is a a country that rounds up people and sends them to internment camps if they're Muslim, has a massive surveillance state where you have no rights. What are the legal difficulties in testing blood samples? It's extremely suspicious. Now, I'm not saying, confirming without a shadow of a doubt, that, you know, this escaped from a lab. I'm just get this is just circumstantial evidence. But the Chinese government surely is not acting as if this came from nature. Every move that they're making is shady. Every single move is throwing up roadblocks to get an actual open, transparent investigation. So if you're not guilty of something, or maybe if you don't know for a fact that it didn't come from the lab and you're just trying to cover your ass, that's exactly how you'd be behaving. But if you knew for a fact it came from nature, you would open the doors. You would allow scientists to, to do these basic forensic investigations. You'd put that database back online. And yet they're covering up time and time again and thwarting any real investigation. It's, uh, it's suspicious. It's at the very least extremely suspicious. So uh, the team of 17 scientists that, uh, you know, went for this WHO investigation, including uh, Peter Daszak, who I mentioned earlier, they would ask questions, ask questions to, to the lab staff about a leak. But none of them were trained in forensics or allowed to conduct an investigation of lab practices. They just talked to them. That's it. 
right? Now, I should almost pause here for an analogy at what this looks like. Because both theories, the two competing ones, the it coming directly from nature is based on circumstantial evidence. It's based on precedent that viruses can and do make the leap from bats to pang or pangolins. And there's virus material in pangolins like spike proteins that exist. That's circumstantial evidence. It's entirely plausible that a bat virus and a pangolin virus mixed together and those traits mutated. It has the spike protein, uh, which is uh, very contagious from the pangolin, mixes with the bat coronavirus, makes a leap, mutates, and, and enters a human cell. Totally plausible, right? But it's also circumstantial. They haven't found any animals with it. And it's just a theory based on the fact that it's happened in the past. And then you have all this other information from the Wuhan lab. Now imagine as a thought exercise, as an analogy, you know a guy in your neighborhood who's very shady and he owns a bar. And one day you go and you see that bar, it's caught fire in the middle of the night and it's in rubble the next day and he's outside talking to the, to the fireman. And the fire marshal comes to investigate the origins of the fire. And that shady guy, he says, oh, there's no need to go inside. You know, here's some photos of my basement. I did have a box of oily rags down there. It was probably spontaneous combustion. We know scientifically that that happens. Firemen know that that happens. It's a cause of fires. And the fire marshal says, you know what? Sure, that was a good chat. I'll take you at your word. There's evidence of spontaneous combustion. Uh, open and shut case. Meanwhile, someone else comes along and says, hey, actually... I've got footage uh, on my security camera at my gas station of a guy filling up a small gas tank and then running from the gas station. And someone else says, oh, yeah, I identify that guy. He used to work at the bar and he quit a couple months ago and said, I'm going to burn this fucking place to the ground when I quit. And then they find a box of matches outside of the bar with his fingerprints on it. Now, all of that is also circumstantial evidence. He could have been a smoker and left his pack of matches. He could have been running to his car, which had stalled with no gas. He could have just been talking bullshit when he quit because he was emotional. But look at those two ideas, the one of spontaneous combustion and the one of that guy setting the fire. One of those has a mountain of evidence, which any logical person would say, it's probably pretty highly likely that that guy burned it down. It's not provable, but it's pretty highly likely. And then here's the kicker. Imagine that the fire marshal he has a stake in that bar as an investment, and he's going to get a cut of the insurance money. How objective do you think he's going to be? Remember Peter Daszak, that character? His EcoHealth Alliance is researching or funding research into gain-of-function studies at that Wuhan lab. He goes out immediately and puts out the theory saying it definitely came from nature. Don't look any further at the lab. And then he's on the investigation team, which wraps up a two-week-long trip in China where they simply ask questions of the Chinese and don't actually investigate or see any samples of anything. Now, in your mind, which of those makes the most sense? Which is the most plausible? It's up for you to, to decide, but that's the analogy, and that's kind of where we're at with this investigation. As long as the Chinese keep throwing up roadblocks, we will never know. And they keep doing this in a very, very suspicious manner. So 
uh, even on that investigation, that two-week trip, Dominic Dwyer, who's a microbiologist on the team, he said that he requested raw patient data from the early cases, which is standard medical practice. There's nothing odd about that. But instead, he was only given a summary by the Chinese. He wasn't given the data. He was given a, a quick uh, book report, if you will. And it was from the 174 cases from Wuhan in December 2019. Only half of those were connected to the market. And the tensions and the restrictions and the roadblocks, they said it was reported between the Chinese delegation and the WHO delegation. They said it sometimes turned into shouting matches amongst these scientists because they're so frustrated that they're not given the information that they need in order to conduct a proper investigation of the origins of this virus. What are they hiding? They're not acting like people who have nothing to hide. They're acting quite the opposite. And um, it's just, it's really frustrating because again, all of this is circumstantial and none of it may get proven because of, of these roadblocks. So just for a little bit further background, um, in the early days of the cover-up, in the early days or of people promoting uh, this, this lab theory, the Chinese don't like it. The Chinese don't like us talking about it. And when I say the Chinese, of course, I mean the Chinese government. I mean the Chinese authoritative state. I don't mean the Chinese people. I know that's a major thing, especially happening all over the world and in the United States is this anti-Chinese or anti-Asian um, racism and hate crimes and everything else. That is absolute nonsense. And you have to be an idiot to subscribe to that. Chinese people are not guilty of this. The Chinese government is guilty uh, of, of mismanaging this and allowing this pandemic to happen. But no one should be upset with uh, people of Chinese descent or the Chinese people themselves. They're innocent in all this. And in a lot of ways, they're, they're the victims because of uh, what this authoritarian regime has done and done to its own citizen journalists, its own doctors and scientists. I mean, a doctor, again, sorry about the names, a doctor, Botao Xiao, he was a professor at South China University of Technology. He posted a short paper on the origins and stating that it probably originated from a lab in Wuhan. And then his paper disappeared from that server. Um, the, uh, in late February, a professor at the National Taiwan University, uh, Feng Chi Tai, he gave a lecture describing the weird anomalous um, aspects of, of this virus. And this is getting a little bit into the weeds with the specifics, but it's based on originally uh, French researched um, French scientists. They posted a paper in February of 2020 about that spike protein that we've all heard so much about. Now, the genome of that contains a sequence of amino acids which formed a strange, what they call furin-like cleavage site. So this is, in describing this, this is a, ke a chemically sensitive region of the spike protein. It's almost like a claw. And so it reacts or it shudders in the presence of furin, F-U-R-I-N, which is a type of protein which is found everywhere in the human body, but mostly in the lungs. So when that spike senses furin, the enzyme opens the protein and that allows the virus to burn a hole through your cells, the cell's outer membrane, and then burrow and stick inside. So the code for this molecular feature, which is not found in SARS or any SARS-like bat viruses that we know of, 
is RRAR. So it's the amino acids arginine, arginine, alanine, and arginine. And that makes this virus more pathogenic. So in late February, a professor at the National Taiwan University, he gave a lecture describing the weird anomalous RRAR fern cleavage site. And he said the virus was very unlikely, unlikely to have four amino acids added all at once. Usually in natural mutations in nature, it's more chaotic, it's less complex. So he said it, it was possible these amino acids were added to COVID-19 in the lab by humans. Now, when the Taiwan News published an article about his talk, he suddenly disavowed the comments and the video of the lecture disappeared from the website of the Taiwan Public Health Association. So it seems like any time a doctor or scientist tries to explore um, these ideas, they get immediately shut down. People are fearing for their lives. So it seems like the scientific consensus automatically goes to this was made uh, in nature. But again, the idea that it was made in nature is based on what they know about existing coronaviruses. Now, remember those eight coronaviruses from that Yunnan province and those samples? Scientists don't have access to them. They've never seen them. There's unpublished data. So when scientists say, hey, it's very likely it came from nature, uh, this virus doesn't have a typical uh, SARS, you know, sort of backbone, which would mean if it was created in the lab, it would be created from pre-existing viruses. That's that's the idea. They say, well, this virus, when you when you analyze it, if it was made in a lab, it should be cobbled together from pre-existing viruses. And we'd see evidence of that. But this is a novel new virus. But they're making that assumption based on the viruses that they've seen. And there's unpublished data from that lab. And there's viruses in that lab that other scientists have not seen. So it seems to me incredibly unscientific to go out and say it was definitely comes from nature because um, it's not cobbled to, uh, together from any viruses that we know of. Now, they leave that part out. They never say the words that we know of. It's all, I don't know if it's arrogance in the scientific community, if it's an oversight or whatever it is. But they're saying, oh, well, it, there's no evidence that it's been cobbled together from viruses. And we know X amount of viruses and we, 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 don't, we can't analyze them. But all of that data and unpublished virus sequences and unknown viruses at the largest lab on bat coronaviruses in the city of Wuhan is all been taken offline. So how can scientists make that argument? that it definitely came from nature when they don't have all of the information. Um, this is the, the glaring sort of issue, is that both of these are based on circumstantial evidence, but one of them has a ton to, to get behind, and the other one is based on uh, presumptive uh, precedent and based on assumptions without all of the information. So, I don't know. It's up for you to decide what you think about all this, but I wonder if we'll ever actually learn the truth. Um, I wonder if anyone will actually be able to crack in and get into uh, these labs and get this information, but this still, still needs to be explored. 
And it's very important that when you discuss this issue with friends and family and someone says, oh, the lab, that's just a conspiracy theory, you need to correct them. This is a scientific theory. Uh, and it's just as plausible as it coming from nature. But the idea that bats with a virus a thousand miles away somehow spread that virus to humans and then that that human being infected people in a city with a number four biosecurity lab where they're doing research on bat coronaviruses, manipulating their proteins, making them more transmissible to humans seems like the most outrageous coincidence that I've ever heard of. And that seafood market was only a couple hundred yards away from one of these labs. A hundred, a couple hundred yards away from one of these labs. Um, that seems like an incredible, incredible coincidence to me. And we won't know unless we get all the information, but it's something that everyone should continue to talk about is examining the origins of this because if we don't know where it came from, we can't get a full grasp on this virus. We won't know how to prevent future outbreaks from happening. We need from a scientific standpoint to know, and I think probably just from a, a point of uh, all of our curiosity and all, the fact that we've all lived through this year together uh, in horrible conditions, that we just need to know as, as a human society where this came from. And as long as the Chinese government keeps uh, stalling us, we'll never know the truth, which is a tragedy in and of itself. So you make your own decisions, but there it is.